When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am Mike Cadlick, joined, as always, by 98.5 The Sports Hub's Alex Barth. Uh, a lot to get to today. Plenty of Patriots coaching staff changes and moves. Um, the staff is set to hire Adrian Clem, former tight ends coach. Nick Cayley is out of the picture. He is headed to Las Vegas, or Las Vegas, Los Angeles, to learn from offensive guru Sean McVay. Uh, so he's gone. That'll be a chunk of the show. Uh, but I do want to open up with something that took off on the old Twitter sphere yesterday. Uh, I'm here to defend it. Alex might not be happy with it. Plenty of people weren't weren't happy with it, but I want to talk about it and explain what I was talking about, and it has to do with our friend Julian Edelman. Yesterday was the sixth anniversary of the 28-3 comeback against the Falcons, and so I took the time out of my lovely morning, and I'm bringing it up on the screen for those who can see it, to tweet this. My tweet was, well, I guess today is the best day to say it. The magnitude, keyword here is magnitude, the magnitude of Edelman's catch against the Falcons in Super Bowl 51 is very overrated. It was first and 10, and even if that ball hit the ground, the Patriots were still going to score and win the game anyway. 28-3 would happen either way. That's my take, Alex. I'm sticking to it. The catch itself in a vacuum. A+. He comes down, the concentration, unbelievable, outstanding stuff. That that's There's no question about that. However, if you watch the drive again, you watch the game over again, they were going to go and score anyway. Two drives before, first first down incomplete, second down incomplete. Third down, Brady makes it happen again, throws it to Hogan. The next drive, same thing. Their backs were against the wall, and Brady and Edelman and Hogan and Malcolm Mitchell, they kept making it happen every single drive. The worst that was going to happen there, he broke it up. My point is, if it hits the ground, they're going to continue on and keep going on their drive. So the catch, great. They would have kept going. That's that's That was the point behind the tweet, so go ahead. I want to hear your piece on it. Uh, Mike, how, how much? Let me ask you a question first. How much sure. time was left? How much time was left when the Patriots scored the the touchdown to force overtime? Uh, it was just about fifty seconds. I want to say correct. Twenty seven seconds. Okay. It's not just that. Time's a factor there. Yeah, there, there was yeah. Like two, there was a little over two minutes left. But I I say this all the time. Football sure. is a cumulative game. Nothing is ever decided by a single play. Yeah, there's two minutes left right there. That helps my case. Yeah. How? But no, because how many more plays do they have to run to get that first down? Does it change the play call later on? Do they have to get more desperate? He saved them a chunk of time. You also get that massive timeout to review it. Remember that stopped for like three minutes. They get a chance to regroup to strategize. Forgetting the fact, it's not just that he made the catch. He broke up what would have been a game ceiling interception. And to make you, you talk about what a great but that's, catch it that, is. I get that. I get that part. But the to ca- make saying, that catch if it in that ground, moment is significant. If it hit the ground, though, I'm not talking about the potential. But it, it doesn't hit the ground if he doesn't make that catch. If he doesn't make that yes, catch, it, it gets intercepted. No, that's not true. If he doesn't do the second catch, the ball hits the ground. 
Who is it? Lewis, whoever's hands are right under his. No way. Trust nope, me. Nope. I've seen I that picture a million video. times. I'd pull it up. We could pull up the video. I wish we prepped it. If it hits the ground and it's second and 10, they go and score anyway. Brady, Edelman, Hogan, everybody was locked also, in. It's okay I, I, if he I, doesn't make that catch. I think what it's you're okay. forgetting is just the part of the play is what he did to get to that ball. Like, like it's it's getting to the ball to be it would have been very easy for him to think it was a tough first throw, down, it was a bad throw. Yeah. Well, it was deflected. It's right. very easy for him to think it's first down, the ball's deflected up in the air. What like no, that was a the fact it's first down doesn't take away from that play at all because everything the play nobody's giving him credit for like moving the sticks on a clutch third down. I, you're, you're, you're that's fighting what, a no, straw man argument are. here. No, I'm not. No, that is, I, that is what really, that play is made up, made to be. I don't the think so. That, now, now he moved the sticks late in a game sure. where the clock's running. That's massive. That's because again, you're, you're acting like they can just go and get it on second and third down. They, they did the with, whole second. They did the whole fourth quarter rather. They got it what on second the and third down the whole fourth Mike, quarter. If you think, Let's say they let's say they have to take it to third down, to, and and maybe somebody gets tackled okay. in bounds there. Maybe somebody gets tackled in bounds. Are they approaching that the same way? With uh, so I don't know exactly how much time was on the clock sure. before they scored the last touchdown. Let's call it like thirty five seconds. Are they approaching that ending the same way with thirty five seconds on the clock compared to fifteen or ten seconds on the clock? If they have to run another play, if they have to run another two plays, you can't tell me. In a two-minute drill, saving two plays. No, no, but I don't. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that they couldn't have done it. But you can't sit here, having played the quarterback position, and tell me that when running a two-minute drill, saving yourself two plays doesn't make a monumental difference in terms of how you manage the clock. It saved them the opportunity to use the middle of the field. I believe it saved them a timeout at the time. I might be wrong about that, but it completely changes the way you approach that ending. And I'm not saying had they had to change their approach, could they have not scored? But it's certainly in a game where they had negative margin for error to begin with, given the situation where they had no margin for error to begin with. He bought them just a little bit. And they didn't need it. They ultimately didn't they need didn't it. They didn't need it. But they didn't need but, it. That, thank you. You're making. But you just there's no way to know that at the it. time. There's no way to know that hindsight's 2020. So does them falling down 25 points not matter? Does the deficit not matter? Because oh, we know in the end they didn't need those no, 25 now, points. Now they came back and win the game. Pushing, no, no, but this is what you're doing. Oh, we, well, we knew in the end it didn't matter. So forget about it. That's the beauty no, of football. We knew all the way up and through the whole fourth quarter that it wouldn't have mattered because they were going to continue to make play after play. We didn't know. We know that now because they won the game. Mike, there was no guarantee they were going to win that game. Look at the Big 12 championship this year. TCU was humming down the field after getting down. They had all the momentum. It was the great. It was a feel good story. It's like, yeah, of course, TCU is going to score because that's what happens in these situations. And then what happened? They botched the clock and they blew it on the goal line. No, there was no guarantee they were going to score. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. He is the only quarterback that could have pulled that off. But there right. is no guarantee that any quarterback is going to make that happen, Mike. You feel that way because you saw it. Go back to that. And moment. I trust Tom, 100%. The, the catch is only as big as it was in that moment. Go back to that moment. How big did that catch feel? That's how it deserves right. to be treated. 
That is how it deserves to be treated. The best, the best argument I've heard, and like I said, there was people on Twitter all over the place, group chats, mad, and I get it. The best argument you gave uh, was right there that um, it saved them two plays, right? They, it yeah. saved them two plays, and it saved them a little bit of time. I still very much think, though, like we said, the ball is right there at the ground. That's my point, is that if it hit the ground, it would have been okay. And it's very likely, very, very likely, in my opinion, with the way they were playing, the way they played the entire fourth quarter, that they would have just continued. It was like, it was what was it, a 22-yard play? It's a big chunk. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not, but I have enough confidence in the way. Let me ask I have you enough this, confidence Mike. in the way the entire team was playing, the way the entire offense was playing, that they would have went down and scored regardless. Great catch. The catch itself. I'm not trying to take anything away from the catch itself. It was a great catch. The magnitude you, of it is a bit overrated. How do you feel about the Santonio Holmes catch? Is that overrated? Is it overrated? No. No. Wasn't there like well, two seconds left in the game? 40 seconds left. Okay. They could have scored on the next play. I, I believe it was oh, second down. Okay. They had okay. More plays. The catch itself was great. But but the so they probably would have been able to score. It was going to be a play that gained that those yards though. Like you just you're saying, all right, so that that catch, so then how are they, you're just assuming so they pick up the yards anyway? Like you're just assuming they pick up the yards. Something had to happen for them to pick up those yards. Those were right. monumental it yards. It happened. It was great. But the, but the way the play is treated, it's acted like Mike, it was fourth the and ten. You're using a team, and I can't this happens all the time. I can't think of a specific example, unfortunately, right now, but Team goes down the field late in the game, and uh, they score. Maybe, let's say it's to complete a comeback, and they get like a, a two, three point lead. Whatever they get a small lead, okay? Or no, sorry, it has to be it has to be at least a four point lead. They get a four point lead. They go down late. They score. They complete the comeback. They get a four point lead. There's like five seconds left, right? Yep. They kick off the other way. The other team tries a lateral play. They botch it. The kicking team, the team that just completed the comeback to go up four. Scores a touchdown. Now they're up eleven. Did that late and let's say there's a great play to get the touchdown, right? Sure. Does that play now not matter? Because according to your logic, well, they wouldn't have needed it because oh, they got these seven points here elsewhere later on. That's just not how football works. You don't. You can't ascribe things that you can't wipe out a play and then base your argument on things that subsequently happened after that play. Because that's not how football works at all. It's it's linear. I just again, I have to. I'm 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 almost giving them credit, in a way, because they had such momentum, and that maybe they. I guess yeah. I guess they didn't maybe they really score, need maybe him they to don't. come. They didn't really need him to come down with that ball. Maybe they score. Maybe they don't. But like, I'm not saying they needed him to. But it, it in a, again in a game where they had no margin for error. Mm-hmm. He gave them some in a game where they were down 25 points late in the third quarter. He gave them a margin for error. That is so monu like it's mon again. It was monumental at the time. Cause we didn't know. And that's how the play deserves to be looked at at the time. How monumental was it in the moment without knowing what came next? Fair. And it was so monumental in that moment. All right, let's get into Let's get into some. Questions. I was going to say, I, I I'll take it. Um, but that's my piece. I'm sticking to it and that's okay. Um, let's talk present day football, uh, like Patrick says in the chat. And, uh, we have two coaching staff, uh, announcements slash moves from the Patriots. The first is that Nick Cayley, uh, who had been with the Patriots since 2015, 
uh, is officially out of the picture. He interviewed for the Patriots, the Jets, and the Texans offensive coordinator jobs this offseason. Uh, but instead, he is making a lateral move and will uh, coach the tight ends in L.A., like I said, with Sean McVay uh, and the Rams. So I would say that this is it's a lateral move, but it feels like an upgrade. You get to learn from one of the best offensive coaches uh, in the NFL. There didn't really seem to be a place for him in New England anyway uh, with the hiring of Will Long last week. Looked like the Patriots were going to go in a different direction all along. The rumor was that Kaylee's contract was up, so goodbye Nick Kaylee. Uh, I thought he was a pretty good coach here. Uh, he had some. He had plenty of opportunities elsewhere as far as offensive coordinators, uh, coordinator jobs happen. So uh, thoughts on Kaylee leaving? Yeah. So it's it's weird, man. His whole situation's weird because he was this rising star coach, and then he gets it kind of out of nowhere. It, I'm not saying we always know what's going on with the coaches, but those reports sort of just came up uh, unprompted. And then he gets passed over for the OC job last year. Interviews for it again this year doesn't get it. And so it is a lateral move and it isn't. It's it's tough to characterize. Um, I think what would make like his contract was reportedly up, right? right? So is it a lateral move or is that all he could get? It's not like he left the deal. So I'm not like criticizing you for putting it that way. It's just, it's interesting to look at like that, but you would think if a guy of that status, his contract was up and he's interviewing with OC jobs, he interviewed with the jets, he interviewed with the Texans. I think he interviewed with the Broncos. Maybe there was just interest. I don't remember. But the idea is this guy is supposedly very popular. Now he's a free agent and he just goes to the same job uh, in, in LA. So I'm sure he thinks that the being adjacent to Sean McVay helps and it probably does a little bit, but just, you don't talk about coaching tenures being that weird, especially like a tight ends coach. You don't say maybe like a, a coordinator, the Matt Patricia error uh, era of offensive coordinator for he and slip, right? The Matt Patricia <laughs> era of offensive coordinator was weird. Like weird. what, but you don't, when's the last time we talked about a positional coach's tenure being weird? Like Nick Cayley's tenure was super weird. Yeah. Again, like you said, it, or you know, like has been mentioned, he was sort of. It felt like potentially a guy who they were keeping and waiting to eventually become the offensive coordinator. Because when McDaniel's left, he wanted Kaylee to go to uh, Vegas with him, and the Patriots shut it down. So, like the fact that they didn't allow him to, I guess, grow in his role and sort of do something that he wanted. And they said, "No, you're staying here. We're gonna we're gonna groom you." And then, you know, a year a year of not having him actually be the OC, he's stuck in his role. Now they're doing all these changes and he still doesn't have a place here. Like it is, it's just kind of weird. Um, but what do you think of him as a coach, Alex? Like I, I see a lot of, uh, a lot of comments on Kaylee and people aren't really too much of a fan of him. And I, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think he's a pretty good coach who just sort of fell almost, uh, just kind of fell out of place here after a while. Yeah, it's, it's tricky, right? He started in 17, so Gronk's here. He inherits prime Gronk. Mm-hmm. And then Gronk leaves, and and his position group kind of fell apart. You know, they failed yeah. to develop two top 100, I have to say top 101 picks because Dalton Keene was 101st, but <laughs> they failed to develop two, you know, relatively high draft picks at the position. They had to go out and spend big money and get two guys in free agency who, one, certainly underperformed in John Smith. I think Hunter Henry's been at least in 2021, he was about what was expected last year was a down year, but it's a down year across the board. 
it's it's like I said before, the hype just sort of came out of nowhere and it was never really explained. And yeah. the Patriots clearly didn't buy into it. If he was as hyped as everybody said he was, they would have given him the job over Patricia. So I I think his lasting legacy is probably I mean, his lasting legacy is he's the guy that they chose Patricia over. But I think right. that, you know, the tight end position kind of falling apart after it was a strength here for what, 15, 16 years, 17 yeah. years. Uh he presided over that. So that's something that's certainly going to, going to follow him at least initially. So I'm thinking of Kaylee and what he has to work with now. Um, you think that ultimately I say he's in a better spot. And I think you sort of mentioned that a little bit, but you know, you go to a, a system, I guess, do you think Kaylee's better off here with these tight ends and that, you know, this coaching staff with Bill O'Brien, or is he better off going to LA with McVeigh guys like, uh, Tyler Higby there now. Um, I can't think of their backup tight end, but the talent there compared to here and the coaching staff around them and the offense itself. What do you think? What do you make of it? Well, it, it it's not necessarily about that, or I don't read it that way at least. Okay. He what what does he have to gain by staying here? He's been passed up for the OC job twice. Like, what's his incentive to stay? Right. So you know, as for LA, I don't know where else he had options. Right. Clearly, that's, he didn't that's get the big part. Any of those OC jobs he interviewed for, I, I there was a whoever I think it was Breer, right, who reported it last night, did say that he did have a couple options he was considering. He considered this the best one. I can't imagine he got an OC offer and turned it down to go back yeah, and be no a tight ends coach. No, but to me, this is more about if I'm him, you passed over me for Matt Patricia. Look how that turned out, and you still didn't give me another shot. I'm going somewhere else where maybe I have a chance to grow. So that's. That that's kind of how I read it. So it looks like now, um, with the report last week, we just missed it on Patriots beat on Thursday. Once we got off, Mike Reese reported that uh, Will Lying is going to come in and be the Patriots tight ends coach, or or we assume rather that he'll be the tight ends coach. He was hired as an offensive staff assistant. They haven't doled out titles yet, but uh, he worked with Bill O'Brien at Penn State. He was a grad assistant. He then worked with him as the tight ends coach in Houston with Bill O'Brien. And then followed him to Alabama. So he's been with O'Brien for a while. Given that he coached the tight ends in Houston, it's looking like he's going to fill Kaylee's role here. What do you make of that hire? What do you know about Long? Um, again, w- what I know and understand is that he's at least familiar with O'Brien and what he likes to run. So I think that's a plus because what we had last year was just piecemeal all these places around the offense and nothing really made sense. And it, it was like that all season long. Now it looks like you know, it's what, February 6th now, and as we get to it with Clem here, we basically have a full staff, and they're going to get ready to go starting ASAP. So what what do you make of Lawing? What do you think of that hire for the tight ends? A solid hire. I, I like yeah. that it's, you know, people are getting on all the hires. Be Oh, it's just Bill hiring people he's familiar with. And even Lawing, well, he's connected to O'Brien, who's connected to Bill. I don't think people realize just how rare it is for – a coach to hire another coach who he has zero familiarity with. Right. Because all of these coaches run things differently. So suddenly you have to get that guy up to speed after he's probably been doing something a certain way his whole life. So a guy like lawing, a guy like Clem. Now O'Brien's more connected. I will say that if you want to make that gripe with O'Brien, I still think he was the best possible hire, but there is that risk of, well, he's Bill's guy. He's going to be another yes man. Guys like Lawing, guys like Clem. I have Clem. a tough time thinking O'Brien does that, but continue. I, I do too, but like if you want to make that – I'm not saying that it's out of the right. 
it's a better argument than your BS about the Edelman catch. As <laughs> as for like guys like Law and guys like Clem, like Clem's never coached under Bill. He played right. under him, but that was 20 years, like 19 years ago was his last season under Belichick. He's coached in completely different circles. So he's a like to think he's gonna come in and be some sort of Belichick clone. He's never experienced Bill on a coach-to-coach basis, at least not significantly. Lying even more so. Like, he's never worked for Bill as a player or a coach. Yeah, he worked for Bill O'Brien, but it's like you said, O'Brien doesn't want somebody else to come in and teach from square one. Like, that's that's where GAs come in, and that's where these, like, you know, when you, when you say just general offensive assistant, these guys you're hiring for their first coaching job, that's what they're doing. They're learning to coach, but they're also learning your system so as you promote them, you don't have to start from square one. Right. That That's that's where – and look, that's not to defend all the nepotism in the NFL. It's not. But there is a certain reason why you hire people you're comfortable – now, some of it's overdone. Brian Schottenheimer getting another job in this league is absurd. If Adam Gase ever – Adam Gase already had too many chances. If he ever gets another chance, forget about it. Right. Even Patricia Lasher, like that was ridiculous. But there is something to be said for the familiarity. So – with lying, I don't know a ton. I know he's coached tight ends before in the NFL. I like that. The fact he was at Alabama last year, Cameron Latu now makes a ton of sense in the draft and is a guy that I think checks a lot of boxes. Uh, we'll see. But I think a we'll see candidate in that position isn't the worst thing in the world. I don't know that you can hire like it. You can make like a grand slam hire at tight end coach. I just don't yeah. think necessarily, like, unless Brian Dayball is going to come back and do it. Right now we're talking, you know, realistically, you're not going to make a, a grand slam at tight end coach. So I, I like Long's credentials. I think it's a good balance of familiarity versus not being, you know, a guy who's indoctrinated in the system and we'll see where it goes from there. But I, you know, how much better are they going to do realistically? I don't know. Right. It's an interesting hire. Um, I want to pivot before we get to Clem because it's coming in yep. the chat now and I'm looking at it on Twitter as well. And it's not breaking news, but it's news. Okay. Uh, Tom Brady has his Let's Go podcast with Jim Gray every yep. week. And uh, he has an interesting guest tonight. And it is one Bill Belichick hopping on the oh. Let's Go podcast with Tom Brady tonight on Sirius. Uh, that's from Ben Volan. Volan says Brady has an interesting guest on his podcast tonight. Some guy named Belichick. Air soon on Sirius. Uh I think that's going to be absolutely outstanding. Uh, Reese just tweeted about it too on Tom Brady's first Let's Go podcast since he announced his retirement. He interviewed a special guest, Bill Belichick. The greatest player, the greatest career, a great person, Belichick said. I guess it had to end at some point. Brady emotional. So that's that's going to be fascinating to get to tonight. Um, it feels like the hatchet's officially buried between these two. Uh, I don't know where that goes as far as where Brady will be and there's this one-day contract hoopla and all that, but it sounds like the fence is mended between these two and Brady and Belichick are on good terms once again. Yeah, I'm just reading some of these quotes now. Um, yeah. At the very least, they, they want people to think that they are. Right. So. It's the new year and we've all got New Year's goals and HelloFresh is here to help achieve them. Skip the grocery store and take control of your time and budget with delicious recipes delivered right to your door. Looking for an easy way to eat well and save money this year? Cut back on expensive takeout and delivery and get started with HelloFresh. You'll love how easy, fast, and affordable it is to whip up a restaurant-quality meal right in, right in your own kitchen. 
With HelloFresh, eating well in the new year can be stress-free and delicious. With over 35 weekly recipes, they have the options you're looking for to help you achieve your goals. Choose calorie-smart and carb-smart recipes, or even customize select meals by swapping proteins or sides, upgrading your proteins, or adding protein to a veggie dish. Skip the snowy schlep to the grocery store and stock up using the HelloFresh market. Simply add the additional items to your weekly order, and they'll arrive at your doorstep along with your meals. Eating well is top of the mind this month, and it's comforting to know that you'll always get top quality with HelloFresh. Ingredients travel from the farm to you in less than seven days, so you know they're fresh. I just got my latest shipment of meals. My favorite, the One Pan Tacos. They make it incredibly fast and easy to prep and cook. Go to HelloFresh.com slash CLNS65 and use code CLNS65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash CLNS65 and use code CLNS65 for 65% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. So yeah, looks like Brady and Bill. Uh, it's I'm trying to pull up these, you know, these quotes live as we go too, but uh, there's no one I'd rather be associated with, according to Brady. Uh, it's fascinating. I'm excited to listen to the whole thing after, but uh, I'm sure we'll have coverage on it on CLNSmedia.com as well as 98.5 The Sports Up. You got any thoughts before we go to Clem? Uh, I mean, we just have the, those couple quotes, so I guess we'll see what they say. All right, sounds good. Yeah, we'll 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 keep y'all updated as those trickle in. Um, again, Bill Belichick, a guest on Tom Brady's Let's Go podcast on Sirius, uh, airing tonight. There's some quotes coming from as well, so it might be on now. But uh, looks like those two men to the fence. So let's talk about Adrian Clem though. Uh, the Patriots look like they are they have rounded out that staff of theirs officially. Uh, Adrian Clem from Oregon. He was their associate head coach, run game coordinator, and offensive line coach for one season. Um, up in Eugene. He coached the NFL. He was with the Steelers as well as their offensive line coach. Started his career at SMU as a grad assistant. Um, some interesting things on Clem, just his tenure with the Steelers didn't end great. Um, but it looks like he was on good terms with Oregon. So uh, thoughts on Clem as a hire, as a football hire anyway, um, and what it will bring to this offense in general. Yeah, I, I really am a fan of this hire. Uh former player in the league has, has been coaching for a while. Oregon's offensive line was the best in college football this year in pass pro five sacks allowed in 13 games. They also had the best play action package in college football this year in terms of the passer rating off of it. And as I you know, offensive line coach and he's the run game coordinator that that guy is going to help build up the play action package. Cause play action involves the run as much as it does the pass. You've got to set it up. Right. So that's like, I, I love, I think between him and O'Brien, you just have two really creative football minds in there who are, are it, it's going to look night and day from last year really is oh, now yeah. most of Oregon's run game last year, the heavy majority of it was read option. They're not going to run a lot of read option with Mac Jones, if at all, but no. <laughs> you can build some of that into RPO type things. And again, it's just that creativity. Some of that new age stuff, I think it's going to look refreshing. So I really like this hire, you know, creative mind a guy who is potentially an offensive coordinator in waiting and i've talked about this before if o'brien's he's here for a good time not a long time he's going to want to go get that next head coaching job when he gets that you can potentially set up a seamless transition where adrian clem is that next guy 100 so, yeah he, big fan yeah, of the he, hire. he came in as an offensive coordinator candidate originally he was one of uh one of the other candidates who interviewed before they ultimately hired o'brien so 
looks like you said, like you said, that could be a potential grooming situation. Have him in waiting to be the OC once, if with and when O'Brien, you know, goes to whether it be another head coaching job or whatever the case may be. Uh, that's huge. The other thing, and you sort of started to mention it, but um, th- the biggest thing I take away from it is just the way that both. The way that they'll, you know, be able to mend the fence with, and I keep using that term after we just talked about Brady and Bill, but, you know, conjoin everything in the offense and make things truly feel seamless like they tried to do last year because they changed, you know, blocking schemes in the run pass game all year last year from camp, from week one and on. Everything changed. And now that it's February 6th, they're going to have a full staff in here the entire time to figure out a scheme. What they did with Patricia and Judge was not an offensive scheme. It was just, it really just looked like putting crap together and trying to run. Madden offense. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, there was no, they didn't call a play and there wasn't anything to back it up. Like, it was just, it was bad. And now they're going to have Clem here who knows how to coordinate a run game. Uh, He knows how to set up blocking schemes with his guys and, it's going to help once you know they get in the lab, figure out this offense together, and be able to make it work to Mac Jones's strength. They didn't do any; they didn't really do any of that last year. They just tried to put something together, and it didn't work. Now it's going to truly be you know O'Brien, uh, O'Brien, Clem, Troy Brown, probably Vinny Sanceri and Lawing getting together in a room and being like, let's you know let's let's create an offense that's going to work for everybody and that everyone's going to understand. So again, I think it's an, a slam dunk hire because. Frankly, last year, the o- the OC and offensive line coach was Matt Patricia, and now you have Bill O'Brien and Adrian Clem instead. That's 10 out of 10. You do that every single day of the week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. Now, look, I see people saying they finally have a full staff. They have a full staff. I don't know that they're done. I'd still like to see them add an assistant quarterbacks coach, mm-hmm. um, uh, an assistant running backs coach, assistant tight ends coach, like fill that thing out. But yeah, it does feel now like they could they could start the the season with the staff they have as is, and it would be more than functional, which I think is a great feeling after last year. Um, Brady had his mother, father, Belichick, Gronk, Peyton Manning, and Pat Mahomes all on. Let's go. Sorry, I'm, I'm oh, wow. updating as we go. So not all together. I assume they're all different segments, but uh, that's that's another interesting thing. So yeah, uh, Clem's here, hopefully here to stay for a while. Can uh, I think it's just so much. Last year was just such a mess, and to have this really sense of security around your franchise quarterback that, frankly, it should have happened a year ago, so there's no excuse. And, you know, it's not, oh, thank God Clem's here, everything's saved, and thank God Bill O'Brien's here. You still got to go out and ultimately do it, but a massive, massive, massive step in that right direction compared to last year. Um, so that's our piece on Kaylee and Clem. Um, we will open up the rest of the podcast for Q&A. So uh, throw anything you really want in the chat. Clem, O'Brien, Brady, Belichick, Edelman catch. We can keep talking about that if you want. Um, whatever you want us to answer, go for it. Throw it in the chat, um, and we will get to as many as possible before the end of the show. Um, um, let's see what else we got. Uh, yeah. I mean, this. so this is an interesting one. Will Troy Brown be able to develop Taekwon? Like, I think there's things that he can do, but – Troy Brown was a certain kind of receiver. Tyquan Thornton's a very different receiver. This is why I kind of said, you know, can they diversify that coaching staff? Now, Ross Douglas is an interesting name to watch here, too. He's been really involved with them, a guy they're high on, who was the assistant wide receivers coach last year. Yeah. So, um, it, look, I, I, I don't think Troy can't, but he's been the wide receivers coach, and they've struggled to develop receivers. Like, you can't not look at that. Right. 
Yeah, I think you talk about uh, before that just filling out a staff and, you know, they have their main guys, their their main running backs coach, their main receivers coach. But Douglas will probably st- will stick around to be the assistant wide receivers coach. He's a guy who's been talked about by the NFL Network as, you know, a young coach to keep an eye on. So they that's Douglas is a guy who potentially can, like you said, help develop Tyquan Thornton too. So they, yeah. they have the tools here, unlike last year. Um, there was another good one here. Where'd it go? Uh, so Keenan Allen was reported yeah. today might be a cap casualty with the chargers. Mm-hmm. I I take him. I mean, you look at what Same. he did for Justin Herbert, not, not to take anything away from Herbert, but the last two years as Herbert has ascended, no wide receiver in football has been targeted more than Keenan Allen. That's not a coincidence. We talk right. about getting Mac that guy that he can just kind of, you know, be comfortable with. Keenan Allen's been that guy for Justin Herbert for the last two years. Now he's going to be 31 when the season starts and wide receivers over 30 generally don't do too well, but especially with like Deandre Hopkins, probably out of the running now with you hiring Bill O'Brien. Yeah. I'd still go Jerry Judy. I'd still go T Higgins, like assuming the cost is relatively fair. I'd rather younger than the, than past the 30 mark. I'm I'm with you. But if they're going to go with that older guy, Keenan Allen would be towards the top of my list. I agree. In that I think, yeah, um, guy like guys like Keenan Allen, guys like DeAndre Hopkins, um, those guys with a little bit more, uh, I guess, status and not status, but you know, what's the word I'm looking for? They've they've been around the league a lot longer, so they know they understand. They've had thousand yard seasons in their pocket. They're guys who know how to get open, know how to be security blankets for a guy. Guys who um, not necessarily probably looking for all the you know the glamour and whatnot in the end of their career and just want to go play football and win. DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, I, I'm with you. I think Keenan Allen's massive. Uh, that would be huge if they could make that happen. All right, let's try uh, this one. Could the Patriot can the Patriots take a corner in the first round? They certainly can. There's a lot of really good corners available in the first round, but the thing is, one tackles a bigger need, and the tackle yeah. class drops off quicker than the cornerback class does. The other thing is. You can get, like I say this all the time, it's all relative, right? First round corner can mean whatever you want it to mean because there might be a guy that's a first round pick one year that most years wouldn't be a first round pick and it's just a a soft class. Could get the other way around where there's guys who are, you know, I think there's a lot of guys in this class that most years would be first round picks. That won't be this year just because there's so much depth at the position. I look at Julius yeah. Brents from Kansas State, 6'2", 206, excellent man cover corner, had a great senior bowl. That guy is going to be a first-round pick most years. Last year, he's a first-round pick. First-round talent is what he is, right? First, right. He's projected to go you know, potentially outside of the top 50 this year because, again, there's just so many good corners in this draft. So they could take a corner in the first round. I wouldn't rule it out, but I would also say – I think they have bigger needs yeah. and I think they can get a guy who will give them the impact of a typical first round pick without taking that, that guy in the first round. Right. So yeah, I, they could do it, but the benefit, the, the benefits suggest waiting and taking a corner on day two. Yeah. I, I love the idea of Joey Porter jr. I've said it probably three or four times on the show. Um, if he's there at 14, you, you might want to pounce on it. But then you look at pick 46, and depending on who's going to be there, are you better off taking tackle than corner or corner than tackle? It's going to basically deter – it's going it, to – it's how the board falls to you, right? So you got to right. see what happens there. But I'm with you as far as tackle class drops off a little bit more. They're still probably the two deepest positions of need 
or sorry, they're the two deepest positions in the draft, and they're and also, they happen to be their two biggest needs. Yeah, exactly. I, I put those two together, so that's that's that helps the Patriots. Um, b- building off sort of what we just said, Alex, I guess we can uh, announce it right now. Um, Alex yeah. did say, as we talk about, you know, how the board falls. Alex, you did say that we were going to wait until after the Super Bowl, but we're going to push it up a bit. Uh, tomorrow night is going to be our first Patriots beat mock draft. Uh, we're going to do one tomorrow night. That's going to be 1.0 here on uh, Patriots Prep Fest on YouTube. You can watch us here. You can listen to it after as well. But, uh, yeah, we're going to debut the mocks tomorrow night. So make sure you uh, subscribe and turn on your notifications to check it out. We'll be on, be on here tomorrow to do that. We have to make sure to uh, do our Super Bowl picks tonight then because those mock draft shows run long. We can't wait to do it after. True um, that. You're right. All right. Uh, I'm going to bring up this question because I'm super excited okay. about this. What do yeah. we think of Dewan Jones? Feels like he could be our right tackle for the next decade. Somebody else says, is Dewan Jones a second or third round player? Dewan Jones, no. first round pick. Yeah, he's if, moving up so fast. If, if he does not go in the first round, 31 teams blew it. The Dolphins lost their first round pick. There's only 31 yeah. first round picks this year. That keeps throwing me off, which really is unfair to the players. They should just give somebody else a first round pick. Right. But, or just move that, whatever. Um, Dewan Jones is freaking special. Dewan, 6'8", 370, a 90-inch wingspan, which yeah. is a record for the Senior Bowl. And you think, all right, so he's just some big guy. Like, those guys never uh, pan out. Who was – um, I can't remember the name of the guy last year, but Minnesota had a tackle last year who was like 380 pounds. Um, Not Tarasov. No, he was uh, – no, they dropped Daniel oh. Bullock, like I'm was six nine three eighty, and he went in the fourth round. People, like, oh, he's big, but he can't move. No, 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 no. Not with Dewan Jones. Had offers to play Division One basketball as well as football. Now, not at the Big Ten level. They were like MAC offers, but still, like he could have been a D one basketball player. That's how well he moves around. At again six eight, he's listed anywhere from three sixty to three seventy with a ninety inch wingspan. A record 90-inch wingspan. The only knock, the only reason I don't have him as the number one tackle on my board is he's really only played right tackle. Now, could he play left? Potentially. My player comp for him is Trent Brown. Not current Trent Brown, peak Trent Brown. Right. My player comp for him. Now, that, like, they had Dante Scarnecchi to work with him to move sides, Right. Right. If I'm drafting Dewan Jones, I'm not screwing with his development. I'm just putting him at right tackle, and he is what he is. And I think Broderick Jones and Paris Johnson both have a ch- like a really high chance to be franchise left tackles. And I, I yeah. will just default the left tackle over the right tackle. But yeah. outside of that, the other comp for Dewan Jones, so my player comp is Trent Brown. Mm-hmm. I will say this, and hang with me for a second. My like draft comp for Dewan Jones, and everybody got this wrong last year, except for this show, is Tariq Woolen. The okay. reason being, Tariq Woolen as a corner was 6'4, 220, and ran like a flat 4340. And I think people basically looked at him and said, Well, that's all too good to be true. He can't possibly put it all together with the measurables that good. People are going to do that with Dewan Jones this year. They're going to look at him and say, well, there's no, there's no way that, that, you know, he does line. We'll see how he tests at the combine, but they're going to say he can't be that big 
and stay healthy. By the way, he's an Iron Man at Ohio State. He can't be that big and stay healthy and move well enough. And all of this, they're going to say he must be a bus. He must there's be. There's got to be a catch, right? Yeah. That's what that's what everybody did with Tariq Woolen last year. Mike, how'd that turn out? Probably going to be the. Or if if it weren't for Sauce Gardner, he'd be the defense for the defensive rookie of the year. Right. I I could not speak higher of Dewan Jones. He's my favorite player in this draft. Yeah, I'm huge on him. Some of the clips that came out of the Senior Bowl, watching that tape as well. I mean, he's just a freak. Um, right now, I'm looking on my draft sheet that I've been putting together. Uh, you can check it out. It's pinned to my Twitter profile, at Mike Cadlick, but uh, shameless plug there. Um, I have him in a in the second tier right now, behind Broderick Jones, Skaronsky, and Paris, uh, Paris Johnson Jr., just sort of right below them. But, you know, the more you watch, the more you put it together, he's shooting up those boards, and he's not in that second tier with guys like you know, Cody Mock and Bergeron and Darnell Wright. Like he's he's moving up every single day, it feels like, as you as you sort of, you know, continue to dig deeper into his film and realize what kind of player he can be. So uh as a guy who if you drafted on January fifteenth, might have been a second, third round pick, he's now a fringe first round pick after his performance yeah. out in Mobile this week. So I'll 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 say this about McGlinchey, because some people noticed I didn't have him in that top tier. I I haven't penciled in there. Who? I, McGlin- uh, not McGlinchey. Uh, I'm getting ahead to the next question. That's okay. Um, Skaronsky. Okay. I have a pencil in there. I don't have him in Sharpie yet. Okay. I want to see how he measures in at the combine. I agree. Because he looks like he might be playing guard or something. I think some something. NFL teams see him as a guard. Yeah. And if his arms come in a little short, it's going to change the projection. So, right. if, if, like, I don't, I'm not not putting him in that tier. But, like, I'm not ready to lock him in that tier. Broderick Jones, Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, those are the elite tackles in this class. I reserve the right to add to that group. But I can tell you those three will not be coming out of that group. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, somebody says, so I'm signing a free agent tackle, McGlinchey. No way I'm taking a tackle at 14 if three go in the top 10. And then he, he goes on to say, nope, I'm taking the best corner available. A couple things about this. I've seen some people say this. One, I, I think it's highly, highly, highly unlikely all three of those tackles are gone by 14. Right. I and, and, and I don't think the number is three. I think the number is actually five. I I think the number could be as high as five. Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, Broderick Jones. If 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 Skaronsky checks out with his measurements. And then I think Anton Harrison from Oklahoma also has franchise tackle potential. There is no way five tackles are going before 14. That would be, it's just, it's not going to happen. At a certain point, a team would trade down if they need a tackle like that because you see that there's all this depth in this class. Secondly, signing Mike McGlinchey doesn't solve all of your problems at tackle. I've said this before. They can need... Even if they even if they sign Mike McGlinchey the first day for agency, we're going to come on this show. We're going to reset, right? So they signed Mike McGlinchey. All right, let's reset this. What are their biggest needs in free? What are their biggest needs moving forward? I'm going to say tackles number one, because not only is Isaiah win a free agent, Trent Brown is in the last year of his deal. They save about ten million dollars if they cut him, and the backups are gone too. Yadni Kajust is a free agent, so tackles still a huge need. If you sign McGlinchey. It probably takes Dewan Jones out of the running because now you need a left tackle. McGlinchey's not playing left. I, like I said, I'm not necessarily playing Dewan Jones at left, but Broderick Jones, Paris Johnson, Skaronsky, 
Anton Harrison, all still on the table. I really don't think all four of those guys are gone by 14. If you sign Orlando Brown, and some people have asked about this, somebody says, can we get Orlando Brown? Or who would you rather have, Orlando Brown or Mike McGlinchey? You know, now that takes some other guys off the table, but I think uh, Dewan Jones certainly now on the board at 14. Uh, Anton Harrison, to me, can play both sides. I think he's still be a, still be a guy you could draft. And maybe we still t- start talking about Darnell Wright from Tennessee if he is a really yeah. good pro day and tests well at the Combine. That might be a trade-down situation, but I still think you're going to use a first-round pick on one of those guys. So I just – I don't see a situation where there's – like last year at 21, Mike, I don't know if you remember this. Everybody was making fun of us last year because people wanted – Jordan Davis, people wanted yeah. Chris Olave. We did this with Derek Stingley at one point, and we kept, me and Evan kept telling people, these guys aren't going to be on the board at 21. And everybody right. was saying, well, what do you, somebody has to be on the board at 21. You guys are just saying everybody we want is going to be gone. Well, all those guys you wanted went in this range, this like 10 to 15 right. range. So now it feels now like we're, we're doing the reverse of it, right? Right. There's, there, I just, don't think there's a world where they're on the board at 14 and we're looking at like Tyler Steen or break Blake Freeland is the number yeah. one tackle. Like it has hit the fan. If that's the case. And frankly, if the tackle market is that aggressive in the draft. It means nobody signed anybody in free agency. The tackles were super cheap and maybe they do what they did at tight end a couple of years ago when they signed Orlando Brown and Mike McGlinchey. Yeah. Right. So I just, again, there's still an argument to be made. Corner is the only other position. Well, we're all here. The argument for the pick at 14, but I just think they're crazy if they don't go tackle there. And I, I, I don't, I think the board's going to fall in a way, no matter what, that will allow them to do that. They may not get their number one guy. Like let's say their board is Broderick Jones, Paris Johnson, uh, Dewan Jones and Skaronsky, which is my board. And maybe they come away with Skaronsky. It's their fourth choice, but man, you're not going to be upset walking away from the draft with Skaronsky. That's almost how it was with probably Mac Jones two years ago, right? He was the fifth quarterback off the board at pick 15, but you're not, you weren't upset about it. You had a franchise guy, you had a need, and you went and got it. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think probably tackle again. It's going to depend on how the board falls because I'm also huge on some of those top corners, um, and I think it's a the that boundary cornerback is such a huge position to need this year. So. Again, it depends on how it falls, but I, I agree with you that um, you know the the top like at at tackle right there is well, better. So. so let's close this question on this because I think this is what we've sort of been dancing around. Mike McGlinchey and uh, McGlinchey, yeah. So well, let's say McGlinchey or one of the left tackles. Like he has mm-hmm. Skaronsky's number one. I think it's Broderick Jones. However, you okay. McGlinchey and your number one left tackle, or Dewan Jones. And your, um, or sorry, McGlinchey. Yeah, McGlinchey and your number one left tackle. Yep. Or Orlando Brown and Dewan Jones. Those are the pretty consensus left and right for agency and draft. I, I think I go Brown and Jones. Um, I struggle with the Skaronsky fringe guard tackle what if it, right make, make it your make it your number one left tackle so it can be broderick it can be it can be broderick jones it can be paris johnson whoever then i think i'm gonna i i think i go with uh mcglinchy and broderick jones because i think that i have more confidence in mcglinchy than i do orlando brown not that orlando brown's bad at all 
Um, but I just think I, li- I like Broderick Jones for Georgia, and I think I trust McGlinchey. I think McGlinchey just screams Patriot, and uh, I-, I-, I like him as a as a free agent target. So I would think I would go with that. So I'm with you as it's suggested here. Give me Orlando Brown and Dewan Jones, but okay. if they can get really Broderick Jones, my Paris Johnson, even still, I might go Dewan Jones and Orlando Brown. Yeah, um, just. Ohio State does some weird things offensively. It's going to be an adjustment, specifically right. at the left tackle position. I know Dewan Jones, Ohio State too, but it's just different. Yeah. Um, I like, as much as I like Dewan Jones, this might surprise some people, I like the idea of drafting the left tackle and paying the right tackle because you want that, like, if you draft a left tackle, and assuming he pans out, you're willing to pay him, you have a premium position locked up for like 10, 12 years. Right. And not that it's not great having that at right tackle, but Orlando Brown's, I think, like 27, 28. Like you're going to be needing a left tackle again in a couple of years, probably right around when Dewan Jones' contract expires, and boom, you're right back here needing two t- tackles. Right. I just, again, left tackle's that premium position. If you can yeah. get me a, a franchise player at a premium position, sign me up. And yeah, Mike McGlinchey's not bad either. So sign me up for that. Now, wow. I, I don't know how real... I don't think they'll have their choice of Broderick Jones or Paris Johnson. One of those guys is going to be off the board, maybe both. So that's where you get into splitting hairs here, but they're going to have a tackle on the board. Yeah. Um, I do have one that I want to pull up, but I first want to talk about LinkedIn, Alex, uh, because LinkedIn jobs is the place to be when you are posting uh, said jobs for your small business, because uh, I'm sure as a small business owner or, or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. And again, that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences that you need to help achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all in one platform. That's why you need to go to linkedin.com slash patsbeat. You see it on the bottom of the screen there again. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash beat. That's linkedin.com slash beat to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's linkedin.com slash beat. Go check it out to post those jobs for free. Um, All right. I need to find it, and it was about the running back position um, because, yeah, here we go. The question is, should Patriots re-sign Damian Harris or go out for Josh Jacobs or draft a running back? We've talked about it before, but I wanted to bring it up because of the Josh Jacobs thing. I am of the sound mindset all the time that you do not pay running backs a second contract in the NFL at market value. So Damian Harris, if you're going to bring him back and he's willing to take a discount, like maybe James White did a few times here, um, you do that, of course, because he's he's probably important to the overall um, the locker room on this team, like we've said, but you're not going out and paying Josh Jacobs top dollar. No way, no how. You can't do it. They fall off too fast. The running back is, in my opinion, the most replaceable position in the league. It's important, but it's replaceable. You churn them out. They churn out in college. It's kind of like receiver you've talked about over the last several years. They're easy to find, and it just never works out when you pay them. And so I would rather them maybe draft a guy again. Um or rely on Ramondre and just turn it over to Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris. I'm not going out to sign Josh Jacobs, and I'm not signing Damian unless it's uh, it's a discount because they're just too expensive, and you should you're better off spending your money elsewhere in the NFL, and it's pretty proven at this point. Yeah, I don't know where the Josh Jacobs thing came from. They're, yeah, 
I, 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 there's no reason for him to be on the radar. Yeah, I take Harris yeah. back on a team friendly deal, like you said. Yeah, turning you drafted Kevin Harris and Pierre Strong last year for a reason. I still think they need another back. Maybe that's Ty Montgomery. If if he fully heals up, I'm not opposed to the idea though, just adding a running back late on day three, or even as a UDFA, a guy like Tavion Thomas, right? 6'2, 225, just a bowling ball back. A guy's gonna eat carries late in games. Yeah. I yeah, so I I'm not opposed to Harris on the cheap, but they can always just draft a guy and fill out the depth chart. Uh, they don't need to use a high pick on a guy like that, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they draft a running back this year. Yeah. Uh, not not first or even second round, but you know one of those later round guys. I think is uh, it makes sense for them. Yeah. Um, just checking out. Do you think? All right. I guess this goes back to McGlinchey, and I know we kind of uh, locked it up, but I want to pull up a tweet from our friend Miguel at Pat's Cap, who addressed this um, earlier today, as far as his prediction. I guess it was for McGlinchey. Um, and he basically said that he expects Mike McGlinchey, Mike McGlinchey to sign a sixteen per sixteen million dollars uh, average per year deal, and the Patriots can't afford him at such a deal. So the way their cap space is going to um, trickle out with free agents and guys who leave, um, Miguel predicts that, and I trust him, you know, with my life when it comes to the past salary cap, uh, Patriots could afford McGlinchey at 16 and still do what they want to do. So do you think that's too high? I mean, are, are you willing to pay him top dollar? Because I would say I am. I think it's a huge position in need. Yeah, I don't know where those Patriots won't pay players things coming from right now. You know, yeah. two years ago, they went out and, and opened up the, the checkbook at multiple positions of need paying top dollar. You yeah. look at what they did, right? If they're willing to pay Hunter Henry and John Smith at the top of the market, and, and don't say, oh, well, those were failures. They should never pay anybody again. You don't get to make that argument and call them cheap. Right. If they're willing to give Hunter Henry and John Smith those contracts, they'll pay McGlinchey. Yeah, I, I, I don't see why not. And, they also and, did it with Steph Gilmore a few years ago, too. So like, yeah. they do it when it's a need. The other thing is they do sometimes use this philosophy of pay top dollar at the non-premium positions because it's cheaper and then use the draft to address the premium positions, right? So right. don't don't pay a corner, pay a safety, and then draft a corner high. Right. That sort of thing, right? Don't – this is what they do with Gronk. Don't pay a receiver – or, or uh, yeah, don't pay a receiver. Pay a tight end because it's cheaper, and then draft the wide receivers. Now, it's mixed results here, but – Pay the right tackle, draft a left tackle would be classic them. So, yeah, right. I think McGlinchey would be in play. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, we, just... we, can, we can do the Jameer Gibbs one again. If he falls to the middle of the second round, he'll be in play. O'Brien yeah. likes him. He might end up going higher than that. I saw today you had Bijan Robinson as your, your top back in this class. Yeah. I actually have Gibbs okay. just because of the versatility. I don't think he makes it to them. But if he's there in the second round, I bet they're going to consider it. Yeah, I was. I agree. At the end of the day, uh, I I think both Bijan and Jameer Gibbs are going to be gone by forty six. Is what they have. Um, they'll probably both be off the board. One of them at least is going to be a first round pick. Again, I have Bijan one. You have Gibbs one. But they're both our ones at one and two. Um, so yeah, again, it, it it could turn into the Barmar situation like we keep talking about. But they're not going to spend fourteen, and they'll probably all be gone by forty six. Right. But I love it. I love the idea because he he worked with O'Brien at Bama and they used him uh, very well there. Like you said, slot slot position. He's more of a pass catcher than Bijan, um, which again, yeah. that's sort of I think why you have him one. But 
I, I would love it if it makes sense, but you're not spending the first round pick on the guy. Um, right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm looking for a lot of these questions are repeats. So if you guys have any more before we yeah. k- kick it, throw them in. Um, I mean, they always do this, I guess. Uh, can you vision Bill trading down for multiple picks? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they always do. Um, Especially the way this tackle class shakes up. You know, if a couple guys fall, all of a sudden, hey, you know, if we go to 20, we might still have a shot at one of these guys. And you'll yeah. see when we do the mock draft, like this is kind of what they do. Hey, we're sitting here at 14. There's three guys here. We'd be happy with any of them. Uh-huh. We kind of know the teams behind us. And like you do the math. All right. There's three tackles we like. If we trade down five picks, only two of the teams that would skip us need tackles. We're still going to be have a good shot at drafting one of these guys. Like that's kind of the math you do in your head. Right. If guys fall, yeah, I could totally see them doing it. Yeah. I think, yeah. Sometimes you get in trouble doing that. But right. that's what teams do. Yeah. Um I'm looking. Basically, it's like, so let's say you trade down five spots to add a third round pick. Mm-hmm. Would you rather have Broderick Jones? That's it. Yeah. Or Peter Skaronsky and Tank Dell. Right. And that's like, kind of that game you play. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Again, make sure you tune in tomorrow. We're going to do our first mock yep. draft of the season. So uh, I'm going to be hyping that up like crazy because uh, it's exciting. I want to ask you about Xavier Hutchinson uh, as okay. a potential pick because I raved about him last week on the show. Uh, I think his size and the way he runs routes is awesome. And I think it he's got, he's a guy who you can develop into like a potential wide receiver one. I think he has all the tools. Um, he's a little raw, but I think he has the tools to succeed. And Again, you wonder about the Patriots and how they develop wide receivers. That's a big question mark. So I get uh, I get that gripe, if you will. I get that side of it. But I love what I've seen from him on tape so far at Iowa State. Um, and again, his size is what makes it. They, they've sort of struggled in that department with, you know, a guy who's that true number one. So what do you think of Xavier Hutchinson? Yeah, I just, I mean, I think he's going to be a good player. I, I, I do see his ceiling there. I don't know how likely it is he reaches that ceiling. Like, yeah. to me, if you're going to go take a wide receiver in that range, because if the Patriots are going to use a top 50 pick on a receiver, you want a guy who's going to be the guy as soon as possible. Those are That's two players to me in this draft for them. Like, Quentin Johnson could be, but not in this offense. Sure. It's Jordan Addison, who they're not going to take for a number of reasons. One, he probably won't be on the board. And the other guy is Kayshawn Boutte. From LSU. Okay. Now, Boutte was for a long time the consensus number one receiver in this draft. Mm-hmm. He had some off-the-field issues at LSU at the end of his time there. I'll let people look it up. I They don't scream red flag for me. They don't. And I just think if you can get a guy with that talent, like his ceiling to me is tremendous, and I think he has a better chance of hitting it. Yeah. He's in that group sort of with Xavier Hutchinson and Jalen Hyatt. And like, he's, he's in Rashad Downs, Josh Downs, who I love. Yeah. He's sort of in like projected to go in that range. But if you're the Patriots, you've kind of taken the safe prospect at wide receiver for so long. I don't, I don't need to see them do that again. I just don't. If you're going to do that. Yeah. All right. There was a, he, he went to a party that was a little questionable. Um, he didn't break any laws as far as, as far as we know, like maybe there's things I don't know, but as what's been made public and what the rumors are, he didn't break any laws or anything. 
he's so good. Like if you're going to draft down there, that's the guy I want. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I say we wrap with Super Bowl picks. What say you? Yep. Okay. Um, I usually preface it with, well, coming up on Thursday, blah, blah, but we know it's the Super Bowl. Yeah. Chiefs, Eagles, Mahomes, Mahomes, Hurts, Sirianni, Reed, Kelsey, Kelsey, all of it. It's going to be an outstanding game. Uh, I believe the Eagles are one and a half point favorites. Uh, I'll go right off the bat and say it. I like the Eagles here, Alex. Um, I just think that the way they're playing, um, they've sort of, and they've had an easy schedule, right? They've had an easy way to yeah. the Super Bowl so far. So this is definitely their biggest test by far. Um, I like Sirianni's attitude. Uh, people can't stand it. I kind of like the the crazed guy who he has become on the sideline. I think uh, at the end of the day, Pat Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, but Jalen Hurts is right up in their top five range. I really think that. He plays well in his system that uh, – what the heck's the guy's name? Shane Steich, Steichen, Steichen uh, their offense coordinator. He's run a tremendous system there. He's probably going to be a head coach at some point. And uh, – I just think that the Eagles are more well-rounded on offense, defense, uh, everywhere. So it'll be tight, but I like the Eagles in this spot. Yeah, I'm actually with you. I like the Eagles. I think okay. both offenses can go punch for punch, right? Yeah. And and the Chiefs offense is probably better than the Eagles offense. But a lot of these time, a lot of the time these teams these games come down to can the defense make one stop? Look at the last time the Eagles were in the Super Bowl, right? right. We don't need to revisit that too much, but which defense like when it's 41-41 in the fourth quarter, which defense do you trust more to get the one stop to flip the game? To me, it's the Eagles defense. It's the Eagles all day, right. I think this Super Bowl is fascinating. It's so funny how people are saying it's a bad game because, like, there's no rooting interest. Uh-huh. Like, it's t- tough to find rooting interest. If you're – there's people who are fans of football and there's people who are fans That's of That's the over. Like, yeah. Well, that's right. what I tell me. But there's people who are fans of football and there's people who are fans of fantasy football. And there's a uh, – yeah. I'm not doing the DeMar Hamlin thing. It's a Venn diagram, right? There's some people that fall in the middle. The fantasy football people hate this game. They hate it. And by the way, the fantasy football people every year say it's a bad Super Bowl because suddenly they're left watching football with their fantasy team and they, without their fantasy team, and they don't know what to do. If you actually appreciate the art of the game and the way it's all designed and coached and schemed up, this is excellent. This is, this is what you want. So I think it's gonna be a great game. I think it's gonna be a great game. I think it's gonna be a close game, but I think the Eagles defense makes one big play late in the game, and that's going to be the difference. Yeah. And we can shut uh, up about all the Mahomes goat talk. I, I'm sort of waiting to come back on that uh, thing I had on Mahomes and how he's cu- coming up towards Brady. And uh, if they win, I can potentially retweet that and say, suckers, I got you all. Um, he's, but, but, but you can't. He's the best. Because no, I know. I know. He I know. will be just... halfway to being halfway to catching Brady. <laughs> He's got time. Again, Brady's the goal. He's behind I, I schedule. Here. He does it. He's behind <laughs> schedule. Brady had three at this point. He would have two. I sit here and I and I say these things and I get berated as if I'm not like a Patriots fan. Look at my wall. That's Tom Brady right there. Like yeah, I love this team. It's not because people don't think you're a Patriots fan. It's because you're wrong. <laughs> it's not true. I'm not wrong. The head of a catch. He's, he, would be, he would be a quarter of the way there and he would be behind schedule. Even if he wins this Super Bowl, he needs to first win the Super Bowl, which is not easy to do. No, we, we both time, don't think he's going to win in this league. Right. And then if he does that, he is a quarter of the way there and still behind schedule. That's not close. 
That's not, no, he's not. not in the rear view mirror yet. He's not even in the rear view mirror yet. You might have me there, but uh, if we want to go back to the Edelman conversation, I don't know. Rewatch the first, rewatch the beginning of this podcast because we're not going to rehash it again. Um, I would rather go to, hang on, where is it? Uh, all right, well, let's do this one first. I want to okay. do two of these. Okay. Why isn't it switching? Hang on. Oh, okay. It's showing up. Which one? No, I don't it's supposed see to be it. college football minute. Oh yeah, there we go. It's there. All right, just load in. Okay. Um, on the college football minute, did you see what Iowa did today? No. So, for those who don't know, Brian Ferentz is the offensive coordinator at Iowa. He's the son of Kirk Ferentz, who's been the coach there since 1999. Brian, brother of James Ferentz, Patriots lineman. Um, Brian Ferentz has been on the staff for a couple years. He's the offensive line coach. They were churning out first-round picks, and he got promoted to running backs coach, then quarterbacks coach. Now he's the offensive coordinator. Iowa ranked, I think, 108th out of 122 teams in scoring last year. Like, it was ugly. You thought the Patriots offense was bad. Iowa, they averaged 17.7 points per game in the Big Ten. Yikes. So, and then there was this question, what happens to Brian Ferentz? He was the OC. He he was the Matt Patricia of college football this year. But, you know, is Kirk Ferentz going to fire his son? Is he going to demote him? There was that rumor that Brian Ferentz was going to go coach in the NFL. I was sure he was coming here. Mm-hmm. So what Iowa announced today is they restructured his contract and okay. it is heavily, heavily, heavily incentive based. Basically only way he went, he makes actual money is hitting these incentives and the big incentive for, I think it's 850,000 out of like a little over a million is Iowa has to average over 25 points per game. Oh, God. So a couple things in that, if I would average 20, first of all, 25 points per game is not a lot. That would rank about 80th out of 122 FBS teams. Excuse me. So he doesn't even have to get into the top half. On top of that, Iowa has to average that many points, right. not the Iowa offense. So there has never been an offensive coach that will cheer harder for pick sixes and punt return yep. touchdowns. On top of that, if you switch, I and so the other thing about Iowa is so their offense sucked. They were a top five defense. If you, if Iowa had scored 25 points in every game they played this year, their record goes from seven and six to 11 and two. So, all right. The reason I bring this up one, it's hilarious. It is. Two, you look at what happened with the Patriots coaching staff, and some people are saying, hey, the Patriots didn't do enough, and they added Bill O'Brien, and that's all well and good, but it's mostly still the same thing. It could be worse. Imagine oh, if, yeah. imagine if they had announced Matt Patricia's coming back as offensive coordinator, but we're only going to pay him <laughs> if the team ranks 20th or better in scoring in the league. Like we would be out of our minds here it. in New England if that would be so, it. So I uh I don't know. I, I thought people would appreciate that story. I got a no, kick I, out of that today. I, I will like be it. watching with a hawk eye, pun intended, to see. I was scoring this year because um, you know, you know, what's going to happen, Mike, they are going to go into that last game of the year, averaging 24.8 or something points per oh, game. Yeah. And it's going to come down to that last game of the year and $850,000. Right. Yep. And there's going to be some nonsense. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Yep. Hey, kudos, kudos to the university of Iowa for giving us this gift. Yeah, I like it. Um, and 
I guess moving on to unless I, I I'm with you. I think it's great, but I want to move you gotta, on to another. You got to give me a thought on Brian Ferentz. You got to give me a thought on Brian Ferentz in this contract. I do. I, I think that. Uh, I don't think he's going to hit it, if that's what you want from me. I, I Like, Iowa to score 25 points a game in the Big Ten, one of the worst offenses, like, we've seen in a while. So, When's the last time they had a good offense with uh, well, CJ Who did they the get? Hell? They got a decent transfer quarterback this year. Um, okay. Let me ask you this. Uh, okay. Can you, because you're the, the betting guy, Beacon Hill, no, I thought they got, oh, uh, Cade McNamara from Michigan. Oh, transfer. okay. They, and they got Eric chance. Hall as well. Well, so let me ask Ryan you this. Ryan has a chance. Okay. You can bet team point totals in games. You can bet mm-hmm. team win totals for the season. Somebody's going to have, so it's, let's see, 25 points a game times 12 games is 300 points exact. Although I think the bowl game counts if they get there, but let's just call it this. Right. 300 over under 299 and a half points for Iowa football this season. Is somebody going to have that action? I'm sure you can find it somewhere. You're gonna uh, somebody's gonna have to, right? Yeah, it's gonna be out there. Um, I would take the. You're take, but even with McNamara, even with McNamara and Eric Hall. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I am. I'm taking the under two ninety nine. Even with that defense that forced the six most turnovers in college football last year. Yeah, I don't know about the scoring, and I just yeah, I'll, I'll take the under. Gonna, I don't trust Ferentz. Uh, his dad's gonna, go gonna give over, him some money. He's going to go over to the defensive side of practice and start coaching up all the corners and safeties yeah, and linebackers. Catch ball the ball. Skills Don't go to down. Make sure that they're housing. To make sure they're housing kicks. All right, we got to do a quick Scoop Boston. and score. We got to do a quick Boston Sports Minute, too, because yeah, this the trade winds are blowing once again. I'm not yeah. trading Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant. I'm not doing it. I was sort yeah. of interested in it over the summer. I am out on it now. Durant does not look like himself. Jalen Brown is storming forwards. Let somebody else overpay for him. I, I, the other thing was like the real reason we were talking about that, I think is we weren't sure whether or not Jalen Brown was going to resign. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. if he's going to leave anyway, you get Kevin Durant for him. You boost your, your title shot in the short window, which is fair. Right. The reports now it's the NBA. So who knows, but the reports now kind of make it seem like he's going to stay. He's going to sign long-term, especially now he's in line to get an an all-NBA nod at the end of the year with his all-star right. bid. So if you can sign Jalen Brown long-term, nah, I'm not, I'm not moving him. I agree. Uh, it's, it, it was fun to think of when a year ago the Celtics were struggling and they couldn't get over the hump and they were like below 500 at the break or whatever they were. Um, keep the, keep the better guy in Tatum trade the better guy in Brown and get a guy like Kevin Durant who has won championships in this league before. It was fun at that point. Now I'm not doing it. The two of them are, they're the best duo in the NBA. Um, if Jalen Brown would be a number one on probably 20 team, eh, that's a little high, but 15 teams in the league. And so uh, I just think that to trade a younger guy in Brown, who, like you said, is probably going to resign for a Durant who has been an injury risk lately uh, with the Nets. He's been injured. I think every season he's been in Brooklyn and Probably a flight risk. Um, I, I'm not doing it either. Uh, it was again. It was fun to think about years ago. Not anymore. Jalen Brown's that yeah. guy. Made more sense last summer. Now whatever. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, that's that. So that's that's that. Um, Brian Ferentz is back at Iowa. No. Uh, <laughs> so we will uh, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, I keep hyping it up because I'm excited. I started at CLNS writing about your uh, your mock drafts. I'm here to do my own tomorrow. We're back here tomorrow, Tuesday night. Uh, 
We will let you keep you updated at the time. Make sure you subscribe at Patriots Press Pass. Follow us on Twitter for updates. Um, again, we'll be back tomorrow to do our mock draft 1.0 for the Patriots offseason. Uh, until tomorrow night, he's Alex Barth. Follow him on Twitter at RealAlexBarth and read his stuff at 985thesportshub.com. Uh, you can do the same for me at clnsmedia.com. I wrote about the Patriots uh, coaching staff today, so you can check that out. Might have something up later on about uh, Brady and Bill's conversation. So uh, keep it on Twitter at Mike Cadlick. And until tomorrow night for our mock draft 1.0, we will see you then. Thank you all for watching and talk to you tomorrow.